from the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Okay, here we are, we're back, we're back on schedule after a one-week hiatus, somehow. No idea how that <laughs> happened, but we're back on schedule here, properly on schedule. Steven? Good to chat with you again. My name's Bryn. Welcome to Life to Labyrinth, where we listen to albums and talk about them without playing any of the music therein, and hope that you're just <laughs> listening along. How you been, Bryn? Not so bad. Just adjusting to being back in the two, two work schedules life, and just trying to, you know, stay healthy, despite working in the customer service area, I suppose while having children that go to different schools and different daycares and just, you know, keep wearing a mask. Yes, gotta gotta do what you can, right? Yeah, did you see that in our province here of Alberta, they have, or I guess in Edmonton, maybe it's not the whole province, but the mask bylaw has been extended to December of 2021. Oh, actually, I hadn't seen any official announcements, no. Yeah, yeah, it was on CTV or CBC, one of the, one of the C, one of the C's, one of the officially ones. Yeah, so we're going to be masking up in all indoor spaces for at least another year yeah i'm not that surprised though i mean look how bad the cases are getting again i know that we have we have quite a lot of listeners in the u.s and they're in much worse situation than we are in terms of their safety when they leave their home yeah i can't even imagine yeah like you said it could be worse the states is in a much worse place right now so yes condolences to you and thank you for you know the contrast it helps and thanks, I guess, for staying in your own country. I got to be honest, I, I try and I, it used to be this fun game I'd play where I, you know, try and keep my eye open for license plates from out of province or out of country. <laughs> and now every time I see like, because we'll get California plates here quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, people from California seem to end up in Alberta quite a bit. I'm just like, how the fuck did you get in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even imagine why you could ever, why you'd ever want to, but you're right. You see so many of them. I've never understood it. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. And and I, I know that there's the whole like Alaska loophole. Yeah, but even then, it's like if you live in California, why, why in God's name are you driving to Alaska like in in the late mm. fall, early winter? <laughs> we all want to go to where you are. You're right? going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> Your GPS lied to you. <laughs> Trust me, whatever tires you have on your California-plated car are not going to be suitable <laughs> for what you find up here or in Alaska. <laughs> but enough about the United States, because we are talking this week about Camden's own Amy Winehouse. Or Camden Town, I guess. Camden Town is, is where she home-based. Yeah. You ever you ever been to Camden Town? Definitely. I would have been, I don't know, seven, I think. It's so hard to pin down, right? Like, when I think... I've been to so many places, it's hard to pin them to like a specific time. But yeah, yeah I've absolutely been to Camden Town. Cool. I have not. Surprise. <laughs> I haven't well, even been to California. Camden's like, for me, Camden always reminds me a lot of Clifton Hill in Ontario. Like a lot of big, bright signs and like really flashy, touristy feel to it. Oh, yeah. That's kind of all I really remember about Camden Town. But I always remember it felt like Clifton Hill to me. Oh, yeah. Well... This was my pick, and although we're kind of we're kind of dragging our feet to get into it, we listened to Frank by Amy Winehouse this past week and a half, I suppose. It's been about a week and a half since since we recorded last. Yeah. And uh, this is this is an album I kind of stumbled across just because I'd heard Back to Black a few times, and I wanted to go back and listen to her first album when I was starting to sort of get into Amy Winehouse, and realized I actually liked it a lot better than Back to Black, and it's. A really strong contrast, um, one versus the other. The music, musically, aside from the fact that it's it's her and she wrote most of the songs either by herself or with someone else, they're quite stylistically different. So I don't know what what were your sort of initial thoughts? Because I mean, I could I could ramble on about how much I love listening to this album and all the places I've listened to and how I associate it with all these <laughs> cool memories in my life and how I find it appropriate in all these different environments and stuff like that. And, and what was it like for you? This is. This is our first sort of jazz album. This is this yeah. is a pretty big. This is a big shift away from from where we have come from. I but did you see? I, yeah. I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. But did you no, see where no. I was coming from? Maybe with Jerome 
by Lizzo reminding yeah. me of Amy Winehouse a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. So I was gonna. All I was trying to say was that honestly, I would be excited to hear you talk about all that stuff. I will say, kind of up front, like this album just kind of didn't do it for me. I couldn't really track it down because, like you said, it's I, I fucking love jazz, and I having only ever really heard Rehab, I think, is the song I know by Amy Winehouse. Yeah, I in no way was expecting a like jazz lounge album. So right out the gate, it was actually a really nice kind of surprise to know that was the whole album, and I really enjoyed it. Like. I enjoyed it more though, like even now putting it on in the background and having it just kind of play kind of quietly as background noise. It's just super yeah. chill and like I'm just oh, just such a week. Like you had kind of mentioned, you had a long week too. I did. Just kind of sitting here having it play out in the back. I just feel super kind of mellow and like oh, like I just need a, a glass of whiskey and a piano playing somewhere. <laughs> I'm having a good fucking day. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know what it is kind of about the sound. Like, it's not like, I think her vocal work's incredible. I like her voice. I love the the feel and the sound that like R&B infused jazz that kind of comes through in a couple of tracks. But yeah, I don't know. It just, it was a decent album that I'm glad I've listened to, but not yeah. one that really, it didn't really speak to me. And we had kind of talked a little bit about this, that I actually delayed recording a bit because... I hadn't had the chance to listen to it on headphones yet. And I thought maybe, you know, sometimes that's the that's the switch you need to make it click. When you sent me that message, it, I realized in that moment that you were struggling with this. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought <laughs> I kind of was suspicious that you might, but I wasn't sure. I think you probably honestly might like Back to Black more. It's more like 60s R&B than jazz even though she still very much considered herself a jazz singer. Yeah, for sure. So like Back to Black, obviously those are the one if more songs I've heard of hers. I like the mm -hmm. feel, but that's part of the issue is that I just like, Rehab's the one song I remember. I just don't like Rehab. I don't really like Rehab either. Yeah, I, I just- Literally I, every other song she has is much better. Right, after listening <laughs> to this album, I completely see that. Like every track on this album is a million times better than Rehab ever was. Um, so that's what I meant by being quite shocked is I kind of came in here with the expectations from rehab. Like, yeah, I know she was an influential artist. Like I know she, you know, she made big waves. I just don't think it's for me. Yeah. But it was just, I was pleasantly surprised. It's much better than I was expecting, but whether it was because of that preconceived notion or just cause as much as I love jazz, this just isn't quite the right jazz for me. Something about the album just didn't quite speak to me. Yeah, it's definitely not like Ella Fitzgerald sort of jazz. It's it's yeah. definitely, you know, of its time. You know, she swears a lot. She's talking about a lot of personal experiences. I but say, I, I think do, I do like that. I like I think this album was not only incredibly well made, but I think it's incredibly intimate and personal. And it feels like you're sitting in a small little speakeasy listening yeah. to this concert. And I really, really love that. It's a very like ambient album. It's almost yeah. like a, it's not just an auditory experience. Like you can, you feel it. And I really, really love that about the album. So I'll say that as much. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so just a little background on the album released 20th of October, 2003, when she was all of 20 years old, recorded from 2002 to 2003. It's sort of an interesting layout because it sort of fades in. And then at the end, they have that whole like, well, thank you for coming to the Amy Winehouse show. And then they play two more songs. So I find it, I don't know, it's its neat the way that they sort of laid it out. And I think it's, she was always, at the time anyway, the press she was getting is, you know, she's an old soul and her voice is beyond her years. Her writing is beyond her years and stuff. And it's absolutely true. I like listening to this album mainly because it's a really great listening experience. It's not something that I would just put on a lot to listen to, but like you mentioned, like this is probably my ultimate driving album. If I have to drive somewhere in like the very early morning and I'm kind of just not feeling like being alive yet, like if I have to drive someone to the airport, usually this is what I end up making them listen to. Yeah, I could totally see that. I would say it was it was a, a bit of a surprise to me that I did enjoy this more listening to it while running errands than when I sat down and listened to it with headphones which yeah. is very rarely the case. Typically you get a much better, much clearer kind of experience with headphones, mm -hmm. but it's just, I don't know, it's just, there's something about it. It's just, it's just nice to have on. It's nice to just have it playing. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic background music album. Like the songs, the songs stand out enough that you're aware of them, mm -hmm. but because they're jazzy and because of the way she sings them, 
And because jazz music is very much the, the you know, it's the music of lounges, right? It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the ambiance in an old room with people in nice clothes. And they're, you know, jazz music's playing in the background before it became sort of the music of hipsters who go there to, you know, listen to people play the wrong notes and, <laughs> and be, you know, hoity-toity about various musical modes and things that they're getting wrong. I think, I think she's really captured something with this album in terms of having you, you can lay this into a room and it doesn't disrupt anything but it's got enough little moments in it that you're sort of like oh that was nice yeah i think that's that's a really good way of putting it like i think you're always aware it's there and there's always there's always some little some little pleasant surprise that'll break through but you yeah. know you never feel like you have to sit there and wait for it like it just i think it just has really good flow you're never really aware of with how like how many tracks in you are or kind of what the next big break's gonna be. Yeah. It's just yeah, I know it's just really pleasant, easy listening, which is I think a really strong indicator of how good it is as a jazz album. That's that's kind of what jazz is, right? Jazz is just jazz is supposed to represent kind of nowadays reminiscent type of life mm-hmm. of just kind of taking a break and taking a breather and having a little time for yourself, whether that meant partying or, you know, sipping a drink and sitting in a chair. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's definitely, it definitely accomplishes what it needs to, to be good jazz. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I'm not a jazz musician. I know one or two. I've never discussed this album with them, but I'd be interested to know, because I didn't, I, I've never bothered to do any research on what sort of jazz snobs think of this album. Because I kind of don't want it ruined. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I just love it for what it is. You know, and there's there's a couple of cool moments in this album just that she does vocally that you never hear her do anywhere else. Like in You Sent Me Flying and Take the Box, she like jumps up the higher register of her vocal range, which it's like the only two moments that I've ever heard her do it was on the record. Because I've watched and listened to live recordings of those songs and she doesn't do it. She doesn't jump up to the higher notes at the end. And there's none of that on Back to Black. And I've listened to quite a lot of live stuff from her, both in where she was brilliant and where she was a hot mess. Just just sort of, because I just love her that much as an artist. I'll, I'll sit there and watch an entire concert where she's hardly able to sing because she's blown her voice out and, and she's like struggling. And you can tell that she's not entirely sober enough to be there and but i'll still watch it not not in like a morbid sense but just to see like the the strength that she had as a performer and as a person to push through because i think a lot of what she's remembered for is those tabloid photos that came out in like 2008 2009 where her and her husband blake are all bloody and she's really really thin and gaunt because she's just such an addict at that point and it's like this is her at her healthiest and strongest and did you did you watch the documentary uh, no, I couldn't find it on Netflix. It's on Amazon, I was wrong. They've moved oh, it from shit. Netflix to Amazon. I didn't even think to check, because I, like, I Googled it for three days, like, where can I find this documentary? And it never came up as on Prime. So oh, yeah, you should have just messaged me, it's on Prime. Yeah, sorry, I didn't <laughs> think. I will say, actually, I'm going to, well, now I know how to watch it, so I'm definitely going to watch it tonight. But I will say, like, the bare bit of research I did, kind of, on her in the beginning of her career for Frank, um, I will say... I'm much more interested in watching this documentary now. Like, I never really gave Amy Winehouse much thought or attention ever, (laughs) if I'm being honest. (laughs) But experiencing this album and then just like the little kind of bits and pieces I picked up reading about her, I'm much more interested in what her life was like now because it sounds like an extremely difficult and extremely colorful life. And I think they're not, that's not a necessity to create great art, but I think it's a very strong correlation you find. Yeah. Um, so given kind of the power of this album, I was curious what kind of inspired it. Um, I think, well, from what I know, Amy Winehouse tended to write about the, the people she was in love with, the relationships she was having. Like, You Sent Me Flying was about a guy that she really liked who didn't like her back. Stronger Than Me was about her boyfriend at the time. What song is it? She sings basically, it's about her mom and dad. No, it's What Is It About Men? What Is It About Men is basically about her parents. What is it about men is basically about her parents' marriage and how she's starting to sort of see her own behavior start to emulate them. Oh, okay. So I think a lot, of, like a lot of this was 
She always said that she wrote about her own life. If she couldn't sing it with emotion and she couldn't sing it from a personal place, she didn't know how to really sing the song. Was Stronger Than Me was her first kind of big step into the music world. She got a publishing deal for on the back of Stronger Than Me and won, I think, a Brit Award for it. Oh, cool. And because she got that at a very young age, she was maybe like 18 years old when she wrote that song. And she got paid like quarter mil pounds. Damn. At like 18. So she was able to go get a flat. Yeah. Which apparently was in Camden House. And and sort of start living her life on her own as she wanted to. And I and and then she I think she wrote largely of like the rest of the music around that. Um I think she recorded she kind of recorded it a little bit all over the place. It was recorded at a few different places. Like she apparently she recorded a bunch of it in Miami. She recorded it some of it in London, New Jersey, and New York City. So she was kind of all over the place to record the album. When you watch the documentary with her touring in support of this album, especially in the early days, she wasn't really leaving England. So I'm not sure what process... They don't really touch on it, and I don't really know what process got her out to the States. I know to go to Miami, she was going to work with Salam Raimi. Oh, yeah. And so she worked with him a lot, and he had a place out in Miami, so she went out there. And that's where I think she went to and recorded a lot of Back to Black as well with him. But, uh, yeah, I don't really know that story, if I'm honest. And no, Fair enough. Yeah, I just, I don't know. There's just, she feels like the kind of artist that has a lot of interesting things that are worth learning about, not only as an artist, but as a person. So, yeah, I'll watch that documentary, actually, when we're done this. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't even, I, even, I don't even think to check Prime, because I'm just so used to Prime not having what I want <laughs> It. Yeah, it's on Prime. Heads up, it's over two hours. So unless you want to settle in, yeah, but we'll see. But I might. <laughs> it's good. I watched it. I've I've seen it three times now. I saw it in the theater. I watched it. I don't know, maybe a year ago again, and then I watched it this past week for this. That's true. We never we haven't really talked about it, but you are a really big Amy Winehouse fan, right? Yeah. Yeah, like I, really I am. Yeah, I thought she was right up top of your list. Pretty high. Um, I tend not... I'll listen to Frank a lot. I tend not to listen to Back to Black, but I like listening to her live. She doesn't have a whole lot of live stuff out, but it's really easy to find live footage of her on YouTube. Okay. There's all kinds of concerts, spanning all the way back to her very first few shows. There's, it's really, really easy to find live footage of her. And she's one of those people where she was either really brilliant or she was a hot mess. And... Me, I'm at the level of fandom, as I mentioned, where I'm happy to watch the concerts regardless of her state of being, because I think it's all interesting. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. That's honestly kind of the way I feel about like Johnny Cash. His being a lot harder to find these days, but I've always found it. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what it was, but there was always something about watching him even kind of at his lowest still try to get up and do what he knew he had to. Even, yeah. if, even if it was genuinely hard to watch sometimes, there's just something, I don't know, there's something inspiring about it, especially when it's an artist or a creator that you, I don't want to say idolize, but admire so like deeply. Yeah. Johnny Cash is someone that I don't know very well at all. I found Johnny Cash, like a lot of people did, because of Walk the Line. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I knew who he was previously, but I probably heard Hurt on the radio. But I wasn't at a place in my life where I wanted to hear any country music, even sort of the old gangster country music that he was sort of part of. Yeah. So I do like some of Johnny Cash's stuff. I, I suspect the day will come where you're going to tell me what Johnny Cash album I need to listen to first, and we're going to talk about it a week later. <laughs> yeah, almost definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's part of the problem with Johnny Cash is I don't, you know, aside from the big hits, right? I don't really know where to start. You know, like there's artists that just have so much. You're not really sure where to like, like yeah, where's, where's the entry point? Where's a good entry point into this artist catalog? Cause they've got so much. No, that's actually true. It's one of the reasons I haven't yet because it's, there is so much that it's hard, even as someone who just genuinely loves Johnny Cash to pick a place that I think feels like a strong enough representation of his work. Like, yeah. I'll pick one and I'll listen to it and I'll be like, ooh, but what about this one? And then I'll listen to a different one and be like, but this one's also good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you figure that out, let me know. And we'll do a Johnny Cash episode. 
our first of potentially many. But yeah, um, there's there's a lot to know, and I think, and I'll admit, I became more of an Amy Winehouse fan after she was dead. I knew who she was. I sort of followed her a little bit when she was alive, but I wasn't much like Johnny Cash. I think I wasn't. I didn't really want to know who she was. I really only knew about her because of her public image. Mm. You know, Renee at the time was big on Perez Hilton, if you remember Perez Hilton. Yeah. And his website. So Amy Winehouse showed up on that a lot, and she just seemed like a mess. And, you know, it always seemed like when she was in the news or when they were talking about her, it was, you know, she was canceling more concerts or she couldn't travel or she was, you know, like stumbling out of some place, like half beat up. And yeah, you know, that's, just, that's, just that's really all I ever knew of Amy Winehouse was just kind of what tabloid coverage was out there yeah and that was sort of like 2007 2008 so yeah it was like uh, around that time maybe a little bit before that because it was when liam was just first born and maybe a little bit after but so like so i knew her of her sort of between like 2006 i would say probably in like 2008 first couple of years of liam's life i'd heard a few of her songs but I, I really hadn't connected with it. I, I'm not sure if I'd heard any of Frank at that point. I'd heard Rehab. I'd heard Back to Black. Probably heard whatever it is. I told you I was Trouble or you're, I'm No Good or whatever that song is. It's on. Those are all Back to Black album mm-hmm. songs. But but yeah, I was. I don't remember. It, I wasn't a morbid curiosity because I'm one of those people that does seem to become fascinated with deceased artists. You know, when I found the Beatles, I fell in love with John Lennon because my dad said he was dead, and I became fascinated with like the dead guy. Yeah. And and because I became a pretty big classic rock fan, a lot of the bands I was listening to had dead members, or they were uh, not touring anymore because they had dead members and stuff like that. And I became sort of fascinated with all these dead artists. And I remember when Amy died at 27, I was like, oh, she's she's the first real 27 Club member of my lifetime, of our generation, and. It was sort of fitting, I think, for her, but it's sort of, it's sad. It's just, it's just another great artist that unfortunately had that problem of the most creative in our society tend to be the most self-destructive. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. And it really is hard, honestly, for me almost to talk about because especially having seen her documentary recently when you see her at this point in her life and her career she's healthy and she's vibrant and she's she looks great and she's excited to be to be there and be at award shows and she's really coherent and happy and just and then by the time you get to the end of it it's almost like she's a a completely different human being it's like two different movies Mm -hmm. It's like the Frank part of it is this awesome, like, beacon of light artist that just has, like, the, her whole future ahead of her. And then Back to Black happens, and, like, basically she she and Blake break up, and she just starts becoming a drunk. Ow. And and that Back to Black comes out of that time in her life, and you just watch all these people that could have potentially done more for her, see her as... I don't know if catch cow is the word for it, but I think that sort of like just get on with it. There's work to be done. English attitude kind of plays into it too much. Yeah. Or, you know, her her Jewish father who's just like, she can't go to rehab. She's got concerts. We have tour. We have to do this. We have to do that. And, you know, her friends are trying to like take her passport from her because she's so screwed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like, really brutal. you know, her, her fam, her dad mostly, and, you know, and management is basically chasing them down being like, why have you done this? She has to go on tour next week. She needs her passport. And they're just like, you know, she has a breakdown at one point and ends up in like a facility. And she's just like, you know, she's somewhere else. Jeez. And and they're like, she has to, she has to get back to work. There's, so there's all these opportunities where she potentially could have been better, but the people around her were sort of like, well, you have to get on with it. And unfortunately, the people that really could reach her were part of the chorus of people who were trying to push her forward to success. You know, mainly her her father was a big one. You know, like the story in rehab, trying to make me go to rehab, and I said, no, no, no. My daddy says I'm okay. And, you know, she said, like, Dad, if, if you think I should go, then I'll go. And he's like, no, I don't think you need to go. Jeez. So it's a sad story. Um, yeah, holy shit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's brutal. And then, and then because she was so in love with Blake, and they were just oil and water for each other, she was just so desperate to be loved and accepted because of her parents divorce it seems that uh, she just lashed on to, to the wrong people well and like you kind of touched on right i'm sure less so these days but there is a very british mentality of you shut up and you walk on like you don't you don't talk about mental health issues you don't talk about addiction issues you just you show up for what you 
you're obligated to do, whether that be, you know, your job, your appointments, and then you you go home and you keep it to yourself. Yeah. It's devastating to watch it continue to consume promising young people. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's getting better. Again, I don't I don't want to speak for a culture that I'm not part of, but it's just what I see. It seems to be sort of truth about that country. And it's it's brought up enough in media and um, that I, I got to believe that there's a good part of it that's true. Yeah, right. I mean, at the end of the day, perpetuating shitty stereotypes is a bad thing. But there is, unfortunately, usually some truth to most stereotypes. Yeah. At least, let's be honest, stereotypes against white people. Because we still come up with those ourselves and we're too afraid to be actually harsh on ourselves. Yeah, true. So... I don't know. I'm not like I'm like I say. You know, you can speak to that better than I can, but it does seem to be, I think, part of it. But I don't want to. I don't want to dwell too much on the tragedy of her story, which is part of the reason why I didn't choose to listen to Back to Black, because I think this album comes from a happy time in her life or happier time, and the songs are happier because of that. A lot of this stuff on Back to Black is very much like, you know, I screwed up and I got hurt, or they screwed me over and I got hurt. Yeah. And this isn't like that. Like, there's definitely those moments. But it's interesting. There's these sort of strong moments in her just sort of like her taking control of the hurt that she's going to cause people. And like, I heard Love is Blind where she's talking about like sleeping with someone else because her boyfriend's not around. Yeah. And that's sort of like funny little justifications and stuff she makes. She makes of it. It's a really cleverly written song, but it's one of those songs where like, if you've ever been cheated on or you're missing somebody, you're just like, ah, God damn, this song just like cuts me right to the core. Yeah, right. I think that's that's a big part of what makes the album so listen like so so easy to listen to is that she, she doesn't shy away from very very human moments during this album. Yeah. Like I think not only do the songs and the like album flow musically, I think thematically they all kind of have a structure to them, and it's this. You don't, you don't ever really need to pay attention to it, but I think it goes a long way towards making it listenable. But yeah, yeah. she talks about, right, like, her, that was caused to her, and then the confusion from it, and then moves on to, you know, where, like, Fuck Me Pumps is about, essentially, it's just, like, shit-talking the kind of woman, I assume. She's talking more about herself, going back to the bar and looking for the next one, even though you know every single night she's going to be a one-night stand. And I think it's just really cool that she's including all that in this album she's not just talking about what's pissed her off or who she wants vengeance against she also lets us see that yeah she does shitty things too like the rest of us do yeah it's interesting that you took fuck me pumps that way because i always took fuck me pumps as her being like the 20 year old seeing like the women who are close to 30 still in there trying to like pull a millionaire and take them home to like get the life that they want. Yeah, they I guess that's true. I didn't really think about the, the fact that wife. <laughs> where you had said she was only like twenty when this album dropped, and it was her first. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I just I don't know. I think it's really cool that like I don't know. I don't know how to explain it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> fuck me pumps a good tune, and fuck me pumps it is, is really one of good. A couple off this album that she actually performed right up until the end. Oh, There's cool. only a couple of them that actually made it into her back-to-black set lists. She did Cherry quite often. Fuck Me Pump, she did a lot. And that's more or less the only ones. Maybe What Is It About Men? I think she did What Is It About Men? But a lot of this stuff, if you want to hear it live, you have to watch or listen to her pre-back-to-black album concerts. She kind of really didn't take a lot of this forward. But Fuck Me Pump, she took. And I think it's because it, it tells a really good story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fucking banger of a track at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And it is. It's it's like a master class in almost like poetic lyrical writing. Yeah, I love the lyrics in it. You know, you should have known from the jump that you always get dumped. So dust yeah. off your Fuck Me Pumps. It's just... <laughs> right, it's fun and chill, but also bitingly true. Like... <laughs> Oh yeah, like this, yeah, I, that's why I say, like, I always took it as, like, her, the 18, 19, 20-year-old, who goes to bars all the time, seeing these older women in there still trying to, like, pull young, rich men, yeah, and take them home, and she's like, it's not my fault your old tricks no longer work, right? Yeah, fair enough. I guess, I don't know, I guess in my head I was just picturing her older, 
It just, I forget she sounds older though, right? Right, she does, and she unfortunately died so young that there's still the kind of that weird confluence in my brain where I'm like, oh no, she must have lived like when she died, she must have been at least say 40 years old. Yeah, and I think I kind of almost had that in my head thinking about it. But yeah, I never really thought about the fact that she died at what 28, 27. She's part of the 27 Club. Holy shit! Yeah, I don't know. It's good. Fuck Me Pumps is a fucking good song. I can see why she kept it. And it actually, what about, or what is it about men is another one of my favorites off this album. So yeah, I, it's I really could great. totally see if she carried that with her too. But yeah, it's, actually, it's just like a, it's fun, sarcastic and witty while also being something everybody can be like, oh yeah, I know, I know who she's talking about. Like, yeah, I know that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just oh, they're just yeah. That's that's one of the things. It, she's just such a good artist. That yeah, like she was born in 1983, September 14th, 1983. Like she's she's like only a few months older than I am. It's fucking. And she and she died in 2011 at 27. Like she and I are this like we're we're a few months apart in age. If she was alive today, she'd be like 36, 37. She's yeah, not old. Shit. She wouldn't even be old now. Yeah, right? I know. It wasn't... It, I guess I never really stopped to think about it. But yeah, I always had this picture in my head of her as like a... Like still tragically young, obviously, being say 40, mid-40s. But it never yeah. really clicked. But yeah, she died. Fuck, that'll be me in a year. Like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she God, lived her crazy. whole life in a little bit more than you've had. I know... Ooh. As someone that like loves a lot of the 27 Club artists, and if you don't know the 27 Club, it's musicians that died at 27. Mm. So it's the um, not just if you don't know. I don't. Do you? Are you familiar? Because I'm, I'm more than happy to prattle it off for people who are listening to me. Oh yeah, give it a shot. I, I've got a passing knowledge, but nothing what you're gonna have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the 27 Club. It, it, there's some pretty. There's some major players in it, and then there's a lot more. If you actually look it up, there's a bunch of lesser known people. But like the the first real big name that's in it is Robert Johnson, the blues player, and then. The Baby Boomers sent quite a few of their bigger artists to the 27 Club. So Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, and then Kurt Cobain was the guy that who died at 27 who kind of made it famous, the whole 27 Club thing. Oh. And then and then Amy Winehouse died. There are more, but those are the big the big ones that are often cited as the 27 Club. There's a lot more. But yeah, but I mean, you just listed not, some of the, the most iconic and influential artists of yeah. all time. Yeah. So I know when I turned 28, <laughs> I realized that I had outlived quite a few of my musical idols. Oh, it's like a sobering reality. Whew. As I realized as I'm lying in a, a crappy townhouse in, a, in Edmonton that I was paying all of like 900 bucks a month for and didn't really, you know. I just was like, it's one of those moments where I realized how little I've done with my life compared to them. And I'm not saying that like I idolized them because the things that they did in their life led them to die. Yeah, fair enough. Younger than I had now lived for. But it was really sort of a sobering moment of we we think of these people as timeless and a lot older than they are or that they live these long lives, long careers, blah, blah, blah. But no, they, they didn't even make it to 30. And it's it's really weird. And now that I'm almost 10 years beyond 27, it's, I'm now, I'm now old enough that when I see photos of them, they look young. They don't look like them anymore. They look young. Yeah. And I, I would guess that you're probably still too young to see that in people. Um... Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm at the age where I'm going through that. Man, what the fuck have I done with my life? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, and it pops up every now and then. And right, I obviously know there's a lot of it's <laughs> it's a fucking logical pitfall to try and kind of dig yourself into that hole. But every now and then you'll hear news about you know yeah, like a 20 year old who just revolutionized the theory and science or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I'm still in that phase where I'm just like, man fuck what am i gonna do like yeah <laughs> like i gotta i gotta get my shit together quick <laughs> but yeah i'm sure i'm i'm gonna be moving pretty quickly into that oh fuck they were really young like holy shit like yeah having realizing kind of right now that it's it's my age yeah um i guess i like i knew about the 27 club i just never really thought about it but yeah holy shit like <laughs> like just i don't know wild to think about and 
I think part of it too, right, is I've been thinking more about that shit because we just had a baby. And yeah. right, babies just naturally make you kind of start thinking about your legacy and, you know, what you've accomplished and what you'll leave behind. Yeah. Uh, here's a couple other big names that I missed because I pulled the list up. Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones. Let's see. Who else is on here? Alan Blind, Owl Wilson, lead singer and primary composer of Canned Heat, if you know Canned Heat. Again, another baby boomer. <laughs> a lot of baby boomers on this list. <laughs> um, let's see. Who else? Ron Pigpen Kernan from The Grateful Dead. A guy we've talked about, Pete Ham from Badfinger. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's in there. I, I seem to remember vaguely mentioning it when we talked about him. But yeah, he died at 27. Mia Zapata, that lead singer of The Gits, she was that really tragically, like, she was murdered. Yeah. That, that's a fucking sad-ass story, but her... Kristen Pfaff of Hole. Oh, shit. Let's see, who else? Just have some some quiet time. I'll just... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm really curious now. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Uh, Jeremy Ward of the Mars Volta. Uh, no, sorry. Jonathan Brandis of the Mars Volta. Oh, okay. Jeremy Ward's from... Oh, yeah, no, the Mars Volta. It's like a spreadsheet, and I don't have my glasses on, so... Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. I have a lot of trimming to do when I get to this. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> I've got to take the box on in my ears right now, so I'm just kind of jamming. Like. <laughs> <laughs> right? Honestly, I was literally just thinking the same thing. Mine just... Yeah, take the box. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's 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 spend some time talking about in my bed and take the box, which I think take the box especially is the strongest song on the whole album. Um, in my opinion, my opinion only. Those are the songs that like, if I was gonna listen to no other songs from this album anymore, I would still listen to in my bed and take the box. In the bed to me had a very distinct sound to it. Um, we had talked a little bit about it earlier, like each track. Has, somehow manages to kind of distinguish itself, which is hard to do when you're doing kind of a, an almost like common genre album. Yeah. In My Bed, I was was one that really stuck with me. I like it. I wouldn't say it's my personal favorite off the album, but it is really good. And I'll, I love that like funk, funk groove that's like kind of busted it in the background. It's hard to, to enjoy. Yeah. But actually, I think it was what it is. What is it about Man that was my favorite? That's your um, favorite? That's a good song. Yeah, it was just, I just liked it. And then normally when I sit down and try to pick my favorite or my least favorite, I try to like critically think like, oh, is it what influences it that I did or didn't like? Or, and honestly, it's just when I listen to this album, I wait for that song to come on. So I just, it's just good. It's a fucking banger. <laughs> like you're getting most, if you're waiting for that, I mean, you're getting to song track 11 of 15. Right? So you're, you're making it most of the way through the album just to hear your preferred song, which is a yeah. good way to try and get through the album. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it that song has saved me a couple times on my re-listens to this album. Because <laughs> it's good, but it's also like 53 minutes long. And there's some tracks on here that I'm like, eh, I'm good. Skip. But yeah, what is it about men's good? It's good shit. Um, so is it my bed. I wasn't a huge fan of Take the Box. Really? Cool. I, I don't have anything negative to say about it. I don't know if maybe it was just like I was kind of over the slower songs by that point. Especially after In My Bed, Take the Box just yeah. is such a almost like dramatic slowdown. And yeah. I know, right? Like, that's such an iconic thing in jazz. But for some reason, I just I didn't want it when I was listening to this album. No, that's totally fair. I think the reason I like those two the most is because they have the most different sounding intros than any other songs on the album. In My Bed with the sort of like the strings at the beginning and that like bass lines like do 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 it's just it's a good groove it's got a really good groove to it but take the box with that big like those big piano chords at the beginning just like just i don't know just it hits me it hits me right yeah fair enough like this the big the big piano chords at the beginning is just like where's this going i'm here for this and then when she starts singing it's it's a story and i'm and like you know like i said i come from krista berg I, i'm a sucker for a good story and a song as much as i like gobbledygook i'm i'm sucked in by good stories and you know and she's like her neighbors are screaming i don't have a key for downstairs so i punched on the buzzer hoping you wouldn't be there you know it's like it she tells this whole story about like going into like this guy's house that she's obviously trying to like get her shit out of 
and like and fucking hit the bricks. Yeah. And I think I I just I don't know. For me, it's I can't sing in her register, but I try to with this song. Like for this song is one that I cannot help but sing along to. Um, if I'm alone. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And um, I absolutely agree with them being, I think, like you had said, the two kind of stylistically most different. Um, whereas In My Bed's a very, very hip-hop influence sound, which is a yeah. big reason I like it. I, I love, I'm a sucker for that old hip-hop shit. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Take the Box gives you that big kind of like la- true lounge, almost like faux orchestral feel. Those this yeah. big piano hits and this feeling that you're just you're sitting in this big smoky room listening to you know a spoken word poet tell you about their their life or their day i think it's a really impactful song and i really love the lyrics in it i think it's yeah it's probably the most emotional and like intimate song on the album for me it's just okay. yeah it's good but not like my favorite no, that's cool. But that's, I, that's cool. That's, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. That's why we do this, right? This is the fun, because I'm just coming into like, oh, I love this song, <laughs> and expecting you to be like, yes, we agree. And you're like, no, not not for me. And I'm just like, oh, cool. Yeah. Tell me why. <laughs> yeah, like it's... I'm, I'm not going to agree with you, but I'm really, really interested to hear what you have yeah, to Yeah, so say. like it's a good song. <laughs> I just think like stylistically, it's not what I wanted by that point in the album. I think it's a good way to put it. Um I think especially okay, that's especially fair. after In My Bed kind of picks that tempo and pace up so much. Yeah. I was just, I think, a little disappointed that the energy fell so quickly right after. I think if Take the Box had been maybe even up, like, around I Heard Love is Blind or after, like, Fuck Me Pumps, it wouldn't have been as big a deal for me. Right. And, right, this album is really good at that, too. Like, this album goes high to low on a really smooth curve. I just found... I'm in my bed to take the box to be like kind of a jarring transition. Yeah, that's fair. I find in my bed is on a, on a complete listen through. If I'm honest, I find in my bed is more jarring because there is no greater love and take the box are so are slower and there is no greater love is ridiculously stripped back. Like yeah, I think is that I'm trying to I'm just putting it on just to confirm, but I think it's the one where like they've artificially added like record scratch and pops to it to make it really sound like an old like 20s jazz song. Who is that one? I, I think, think it's it that song. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm turning oh, it up okay. so I can hear the song better. Yeah, ears. I wasn't... Yeah, they've, they've artificially added, yeah, like, record, vinyl record sound. Yeah, see, I I honestly, I wasn't that big a fan of No Greater Love as well. So, um, yeah, I just, I like the album and I love how fairy jazz it is. It's so good. Like, it's not just jazz influenced. It is a jazz album, which I yeah. don't honestly think we're going to run into a ton of until we start kind of deep diving into the the kind of old shit we really love so that was a really nice kind of pleasant surprise for me but i almost felt like i would have enjoyed her energy more if there was a few more of those faster hip-hop influence tracks on here yeah no that's fair because there's only like one other album and because you're gonna watch the documentary i may bring her back for her second album in december yeah we can actually do that you know touch on like you know we'll do this one Take a bit of a break. You can watch the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll go back and listen to Back to Black. And then we'll just like have covered Amy Winehouse. And I think that would be fun. Yeah. Well, to be fair too, like, I think that's a part of it. I think part of me is already disappointed that I know there's not more out there. Like, I know there's one other album and that's it. Yeah. There's a few other miscellaneous things here and there. Even but... though I struggled, like, I, I did honestly, I genuinely struggled to kind of re-listen to this album. It just wasn't hitting it for me this week. One thing I will say is she's an immensely, incredibly talented artist. And it's even as someone who's just kind of discovering the strength of this album, it's very disappointing. It's very heartbreaking that there isn't more of a discography out there for her, because I think she would have created some truly incredible, incredible music. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would never want any of my criticism to say I don't also believe that. I think she's incredibly talented. And yeah, it's really, it's really heartbreaking that there's never going to be more Amy Winehouse. Yeah, she's one of the few artists, as much as, you know, I'm a huge Nirvana fan and a big John Lennon fan and all like the what ifs that go along with that. But I mean, like, you know, Kurt Cobain had three albums out, you know, plus uh, Unplugged, plus he had a bunch of singles. Like, there's a lot more material as much as people are constantly like, oh, he was about to make a big change. Yeah. The next album would have been a big change. Like, for her, 
to lose her at 27 with only two albums out she's got a few other singles like i said like she covered valerie which is really good like the bbc sessions and that there's a few other songs that you're not going to find on her officially released albums that are really good which is part of the reason i like to listen to her live more is because there's some she does more of her like more interesting covers in that like she does monkey man she does valerie that's that's why i listen to her back to black her sort of early back to black concert dates the most just as she was really becoming like successful like really successful yeah because to flush her concerts out she was doing a lot of really a lot of really cool um covers so there is more out there than just the two albums even if you look her up on spotify there's a few there's a few different things and um but yeah no it makes me sad it's as much as i like the documentary and stuff it's like it's gonna be a long time before i watch it again because it just makes me so sad yeah i'm full just it's so so fully expecting to be like existentially devastated by watching it but i really want to because i think she's a really interesting person yeah and it's just like the amount that she was sort of forced to go on like this woman released one like she died in 2011 with two albums out and just bear with me because i want to i want to remind myself what year back to black back to black came out in 2006 so she released frank in 2003 back to black in 2006 and that was it and she she was basically riding back to black from 2006 to 2011 and she was largely unproductive musically after back to black and it's just because she got so sick she just became so sick with addiction and you know and people just like pushing her back out on the road when she wasn't in a position to do so she should have just like and like if you watch footage of or see photos of her very last concert you can just it's just heartbreaking she didn't want to be there and she basically just sabotaged herself so that they'd cancel the tour and she's there in 2011 still singing back to black about like that she released in 2006 and it's like the material was so tired it's hard to be excited as an artist about songs that you've been singing for that long when you're still so young and you you probably still had a lot of music in her she just hadn't gotten to the studio to do anything with it yeah no no doubt and she just was floundering for so long it's just uh anyway really sad but (laughs) yeah but i'm i'm we're lucky that we got i guess what we did out of her yeah as as society and as people who who are a sucker for singer songwriters but i mean you know adele has gone on the record and said the reason that she's largely out of the public eye is because she saw what happened to amy winehouse yeah i'm not like, i totally understand. like the number of people number of women that owe their careers to the doors that amy winehouse kicked down isn't are immense some you know i'm sure lizzo's among them i know adele certainly is i'm pretty sure lady gaga is like there's some amy winehouse kicked down a lot of doors for strong singer songwriter women to to come through and flourish and be taken a lot more seriously instead of just being like a pretty face that can go out and put a dress on and sing some songs yeah i think she kicked a lot of those doors down and unfortunately you know it's usually the person that goes through first that takes the takes the bashing or whatever that saying is yeah i i know what you're going like saying you're going for but i honestly don't know it either so i can't help you with it yeah Yeah. absolutely like there's no denying the impact she's she must have had um even just kind of briefly reading up on her like the just between the awards she won and the things she did it's clear that she she revolutionized the industry in a way that being groundbreaking like only being groundbreaking can and yeah unfortunately the payment for that tends to be extremely immense and it's it's always it's always kind of like heartbreaking to watch to know it happened to somebody and that nobody there helped mental health is important y'all just fucking invest in it trust people when they tell you need they need help yeah look for signals i'm not saying that there aren't people that tried to help her but unfortunately when you become that successful the people who truly love you, like your friends from back in the day, they no longer have the ability to get yeah, to you. Yeah, sorry. In some cases. Yeah, the way I said it came out very <laughs> vague and dickish. But no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. You're not wrong. I'm just saying as somebody like Amy, I'm sure there were people yeah, that died desperately sure to help her. there's people who loved her the same way you hope. There's people who love everyone. And it's just, it's unfortunate that they weren't able to do enough. And it's it's unfortunate that you know the industry actively helped her destruct because it was making them money. Yeah. I, ch- I choose to remember and celebrate her as a fan because of the music she wrote and the way that her music makes me feel. Not because of how sad she looked in some of those paparazzi photos. Yeah, I'm really glad we did this. I'm really glad it's given me kind of a new perspective on 
what I thought I knew about Amy Winehouse. And I am genuinely excited to watch this documentary. I think it's going to be definitely sad, but I think it's going to be a very enlightening and very eye-opening. You're going to laugh a lot. One of the things I think that's forgotten about Amy Winehouse is that she actually was really funny. And that's something that all of her friends talk about. And when you see her in the Frank era, she's a riot. She looks like a lot of fun. She's somebody that, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those people that very often be like, I would love to be that celebrity's friend. Yeah. But Amy Winehouse seems like the kind of person that I would probably be able to be pretty good friends with. Mostly because I'm a listener and she was kind of like a, you know, a brash lady. I love me a good brash lady. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> it's fair, I do too. So I think, yeah, I th- she's not somebody I, th- you know, like don't meet your heroes kind of, but it's like if I ran into Amy Winehouse in 2004, 2005 in a bar when she was playing pool and just drinking and being a geezer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if women in this, in Britain are called geezers, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I think she's probably, she's, I think she, everybody that knew her at that time, everybody that knew her sort of pre Blake and all of that, were just like, she was an electrifying person to be around and she just had so much personality and it's pretty difficult not to, not to want to be around someone like that. So I'm sure I would have absolutely no interest in knowing her from like 2007 to 2011 necessarily. But I think, you know, when she was that person in the Frank era, just kind of had a taste of success and just enjoying her life and had comfort and could just kind of live as she wanted. She'd probably be a cool person to know. Yeah. And yeah, I, I would say from the few like, I don't know, like live appearances almost I've seen of her. I will say that I agree that she's, she seems almost like Lizzo in that regard, that she just has that really contagious personality. Like, the ability to just yeah. fill a room without doing anything. Just, like, mm-hmm. that natural, almost, like, optimism and fun that some people carry. You can see that a yeah. lot in her, like, older performances. Yeah, 100%. And she's a woman that won a lot of awards. And I think for someone that's so often overlooked as just being a drug addict who died early, I think, you know, I just want to run down some of the awards yeah, she actually, got. Yeah, that's a good idea. Brit Awards 2007, she won for Best Female Solo Artist. At the Echo Music Awards, she won in 2009 for Album of the Year and for Best International Female Rock and Pop. She won in 2007 at the Owl Style Awards for Best British Music Act, the GAFA Awards. She won for Best Foreign Female Act for a song called Herself, which I'm actually not familiar with. Grammy Awards, she fucking cleaned up at the Grammys. She won Best New Artist in 2008. She won Best Pop Vocal Album, Record of the Year, Song of the Year. She won like five or six. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she fucking cleaned up in 2008. For Back to Black Alone, the album, she won. Yeah, Best New Artist. She won Best Pop Vocal Album, Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Female Pop Vocalist or Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. Uh, she won for Body and Soul with Tony Bennett in 2012, so that would have been posthumously. And then she was nominated for Best Rap Song Collaboration for Cherry Wine with Nas. Oh, cool. She won a bunch of other stuff. She was nominated for Mercury Prize for both albums, for Album of the Year. The Ivor Novella Awards, Songwriting and Composing. She won for Stronger Than Me in 2004. She won for Rehab. She won for Love is a Losing Game. One of three. Like she's got a Meteor Award. It's just like, it's a big page. I'm not going to read them all. But like yeah. You can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. She won a lot of awards. And she probably would have continued to do so had she lived. So I think I think that's a, like the... It's sad to lose the woman. Absolutely. It's really sad to lose the talent. Because she had so much to offer, and I, she lost her talent and what she was offering to the world. She lost it way long, way before, you know, the world lost the person. And the thing that's sad about it, it seems to be that she was starting to come back out of it. She was now on the other, almost, almost through the door of being through that phase of her life when she kind of accidentally killed herself with alcohol. Oh, man, oh, heavy. So. It is. It's heavy, but it's a fantastic album. It's one of my absolute favorites, and one of the things I love the most about it is the fact that this should not be one of my favorite albums by my musical taste. Yeah, I will say that it, it really shouldn't. <laughs> I was very surprised, honestly. Like 
just just give him like kind of even just what we've talked about on this podcast about your your preference for you know sadder slower songs i, I wasn't expecting a full like r&b jazz lounge album yeah like not I'm, listening to it i totally understood that it'd be something you listen to but i wouldn't have expected it to be so high on your list of favorite albums yeah, you wouldn't have picked this out as one of my desert al- desert no, island. This was albums. not would not have been a deserted island fucking pick for me. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, desert island, I'd go there. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's our first piece of merch. You're gonna get desert island, <laughs> desert island album T-shirts. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, I don't think we need to make this a particularly long album. I know that you struggled to connect with it. I really like it and I could babble on forever, but I kind of want to, I want to, you know, be the kid who's like, I'm, I'm triple stamping no races <laughs> that I'm going to bring up, a, I'm going to bring up Amy Winehouse again before the new year yeah, for sure. And give you a chance to watch the, yeah, watch the documentary, listen to back to black and maybe I'll send you a live recording to check yeah, out. So you mentioned it. So I'll definitely find some live recordings to watch. Um, check out her. If you want to watch two concerts that will show you how much this woman changed in a year, watch her performance in Glastonbury in 2007, and then watch her performance in Glastonbury in 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. There's an Albert Hall. I think I think there's a Royal Albert Hall performance that I ripped and I have in the car that's fantastic. Oh, nice. But um, her Glastonbury album, her Glastonbury 2007, I think is probably one of the highlights of her career. And then when you see her a year later, where she's Blake is in is in jail and she's kind of she's not doing well. Yeah. She's not probably at her lowest at that point, but she's real not doing well. And just to see the difference in in this person and how she still managed to pull out a, a pretty passable performance. Yeah, that's good. No, for sure. I'll check those out. But yeah. Um, cool. So but we gotta do something. We gotta do two things before we go. Alright. <laughs> So, do you have a songbird for this album? <laughs> I do not, actually. Really? Yeah, I okay. don't know. Like, even though, even though the transition for me from In My Bed to Take the Box felt jarring, it didn't feel out of place for the album, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, there isn't a track on this album that I felt didn't make sense on the album. Yeah. Even when it varied from hip-hop to, you know, to soul. And from high tempo to low, it just, I don't know, it always felt right. It felt natural. There wasn't any point where I, like, picked up my phone and was like, oh, shit, is this still the album? Like, (laughs) I don't know if it's Songbird. I don't know if it necessarily kicks me out of the album, but it is a song that if I'm going to skip any song on a listen-through, it's going to be There Is No Greater Love. Mm, Fair. Yeah, I would say it's definitely the most skippable song. (laughs) Yeah. It's just... I like it for what it is, and it's, you know, if you were to put this album on, you know, because you were having a lady over, and you were, like, in a, you know, you needed music to put on in the background, it's not something that I'd skip at that point, because I think it's a good, it works in that way. It's not something I quite often would skip if I was, you know, in the car listening to the whole album, but usually by the end of Moody's Mood for Love, uh, Leo Licks, I just want to get to In My Bed, and I don't want to, I don't want to listen to... There is no greater love. So, as much as this is a Desert Island album for me... <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, it's never dying. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's oh, that's forever yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, my... The, the song I'll throw on the Songbird playlist is There is no greater love. That's, that's the one I tend to skip more than any others. Cool. No, fair enough. But I think it's just because my two favorite songs on the album come right after it. <laughs> fair enough. We've all been there. <laughs> Like, yeah, oh, yeah, this yeah. is a good enough song. So, the next one's much better. <laughs> yeah. So there. So okay. So you didn't have no, one. I did. Fair enough. And in terms of our like our, our re-listenability. Oh man, we gotta be honest. Here. Obviously, I am gonna continue listening to this album for years to come. Do you see yourself finding a moment in your life where this album would come back on for a full re-listen? Oh man, for, for a full listen, absolutely not. There's for sure some songs that I'll. I'm going to throw on here or there when they pop it in my head, but I just, I don't think I've got another 53 minutes in me to give to this album. <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's a, it's an incredible piece of work. And I think, I think it's nice to, to have had the chance now to have like a true jazz album 
So as much as I love jazz, I actually haven't listened to it in a long time. Um, and it was nice to kind of almost rediscover my love for it through this album. And like I said, I think her as a person is incredibly complex and interesting, and I'm really excited to learn more about that. But this album, I'm right. good. <laughs> I'll take In My Bed <laughs> and What Is It About Men, and they can come home. The rest can stay where they are. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's that's cool. I would suggest, since you, since as a listener, you now have an emphatic endorsement of listening to this album from me, and a meh from Steven. <laughs> so I will say, from a completely like not fanboy opinion of this album my advice for if you're looking for a moment to put it on would be when you're going for a drive this is this is something that i listen to in the car primarily so yeah if you have to go somewhere early in the morning or it's late you're you know you're leaving your girlfriend's house and it's like two in the morning and you just need some tunes on to keep yourself awake but you're not really looking you know you're not really sure what to play Put on Frank by Amy Winehouse and give it a shot. That's that's my most honest critique of this album. If you need an opportunity to listen to it, if you're like, I'm not going to put this on in headphones, I'm not going to listen to this in my house. I'm not. This isn't something I'm going to cook to. If you're in the dark and you're by yourself and it's either late in the morning or early in the morning or late at night to the point where it's now early in the morning again, that's where Frank really shines in my life anyway. No, I I'll I'll endorse that. I think it's it's an absolutely great kind of ambient travel album just yeah not for me <laughs> listen to it once that's fair. give it a try uh, if you don't like it after that no pressure for me <laughs> yeah and that's fine no i think it's cool I, I love that you and i are now getting to a place where we're disagreeing about some of these albums i love it because at the beginning we were sort of listening to stuff that we both knew we liked yeah. to try and figure out how to do this podcast and i love now that we're making suggestions to each other where you know, my, my, my attitude with Lizzo last week was, was basically your attitude about this. It was sort of like, yeah, I'm not sad that I did it, but this is not going to be something I listen to all the way through again. Yeah, right. Fair enough. And I did. I really like so it. So I, I like yeah. that. And in the same way, I like I fawn over that album by Lizzo. I don't know. It just gets yeah. speaks to me. Yeah. So it was really cool that we kind Is of it a dessert island album? It absolutely is. I'll eat that shit with cake. All right. Nice. <laughs> it's a good dessert. <laughs> it's funny. I actually don't really like cake. I just, I wasn't going to be left high and dry again. <laughs> Are you a pie man? Oh, I prefer God, pie. Actually, I, I don't like pastry. I don't like the way it like, I hate the texture of good pastry in my mouth. <laughs> Stupid as that sounds. So I'm more like. How the hell did you live in England if you don't like pie? What did you eat? A lot of mash and a <laughs> lot of fish <laughs> is really it. <laughs> like a shit ton of mashed wow. potatoes. Mashed potatoes, jack of potatoes, and like fish and chips were like my three big things from England. Yeah, I don't know. That's, I really that's, that's the hardest part about watching oh, actually, like British movies and TV for me is when they're like, you know, there's the inevitable Christmas yeah. scenes and like Harry Potter <laughs> and they're like pie. I'm like, yeah, just I'll just take all of that. <laughs> okay, I will say one thing. Yorkshire puddings are the only reason I'm fucking alive, all right? Yorkshire pudding got me through every goddamn holiday dinner because I could just like stuff it full of a bunch of shit and be like, nah, I totally took my, my shares worth. I definitely took a little bit of everything. It's just in my Yorkshire right now. Don't worry. About <laughs> well, that's very interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, those are my final thoughts. I love it. Try it in the car. If it's dark out and you're not sure what else to put on, put this on. That's my, that's my suggestion. Steven says, yeah, <laughs> try. I'll never advocate that you don't try it at least once. But if by the end of it, you're like, mm, yeah, I don't really get it. You're good. And a re-listen is not going to like relight that flame for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say this. Steven says you got to at least make it to what is it about? Yes, man. there you go. You've got to at least 11 it, tracks in. <laughs> get to the, get to what, you know, if you don't listen to Amy, 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 outro, brother, Mr. Magic. Yeah. Brother and Mr. Magic are kind of like the prologue. Yeah. Not the prologue. What, what's, the, what's the part of the book that comes after the, the end? epilogue, right? The epilogue. Thank you. Prologue's the beginning. <laughs> prologue comes first. <laughs> I love it. And stay tuned in uh, in a month or so, and we'll t talk about Back to Black, and we'll talk about the documentary. And then we will close the book on one artist in the world where we will have run out of things we can talk about, and we'll carry on. So, Steven. so next week, um, what are we doing next week? Oh man, after 
after Lizzo, I was already kind of starting to feel a little bit of that, you know, I need a little bit of funk in my life and need a little bit of soul. Um, and then after listening nice. to this jazz album, and honestly, I will say a big part of this is because Kane's favorite fucking song in the world right now is Blame It on the Boogie by the Jacksons because Jared sent me this stupid video game spoof like YouTube video that's set to the song and Kane loves it. Fucking laughs the whole time. But he also really loves Superstition by the one and only Stevie Wonder. So I'm thinking for next mm-hmm. for next week, we're going to be doing Talking Book by Stevie Wonder. One of his more... Okay, I was I was going to be like, oh, is he going to say Sir Duke? Because I am here for <laughs> <No>. it. <laughs> Damn it. Talking Book, because I've, Talk, I've been fine. listening to Superstition every day this week. And now mm-hmm. I just... I want to listen to it in an actual capacity and the rest of his songs too. But I, I love, I love Stevie wonder. Stevie wonder is whoever first introduced me to it. It was my introduction to like funk jazz mix up or cross. I don't know. I can't think of that word, but that a very unique kind of funk, like jazz inspired funk soul that Stevie wonder capital, like pioneered, I guess is a better word. I don't know. He's just a really big artist to me. I really love him. He has a fucking obscene amount of albums. And I was like, eh, do I pick one that I think is really conceptually and creatively strong? Or do I just pick the one I want to listen to? So I picked Talking Book because I just (laughs) want to listen to it now. Fair enough. I have not heard. I I pulled it up. I'm not sure if I've heard any of these other than Superstition. I may have and just don't know what they're called. fair enough. You are the sunshine of my life again. Um, but I knew you would at I, least. I hate starting the next. I hate starting the next episode. Oh yeah, of, we gotta stop doing one. that. <laughs> so I'm just gonna say I'm not sure if there's anything on here other than the superstition I listen to. I'm I'm a little bummed that you didn't pick Sir Duke, but <laughs> in time, <laughs> Sir Duke can join us. On- all right, all right. But much much like uh, we were talking about, you know, needing a place to a jumping off point for Johnny Cash. Stevie Wonder is another. Another artist where like you need a jumping off point. You can't just start at the beginning. So cool. We're going to jump off with talking book and I'm, I'm here for it. We'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Right. And we can, we can come back to see wonder 30 times. Cause man put out a lot of fucking music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't, when you were talking about the Jacksons, I was like, Oh, what, what Jackson five album? Are we gonna <laughs> nah, to throw you a curveball. I just also had to mention that. Yeah. For whatever reason, my baby's two favorite songs in the world are blaming on the boogie and superstition. Like, that's cool that's cool blame it on the boogie it's a good tune but we'll get to it all right talking book that's we'll close this book on amy winehouse's frank and thank you <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah as always check us out on instagram twitter life number two labyrinth if there's an album on your dessert island playlist that you really think we should listen to slide into our dms hit us up and uh, if we don't hear from you, then we're just going to keep picking our own. So when you go <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number Two Labyrinth. <laughs>